I want to know, is there a drug that cures enmeshment? I want a no. pill. Is there no pill? Well, people just start to have better boundaries. And yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't just like like put like hide some pill in your, your mother's food and like, oh, here, enjoy these cupcakes. Dear Shandy. Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you today? I am doing well. And you? I'm good. I'm excited for today's guest and topic, but I'm also a little daunted. I'm going to get that out of the way Mm -hmm, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Our guest is very qualified. I'm so excited, but I'm also like, I feel like this one has been a long time coming because Mm -hmm. pretty much since the day we started this podcast and I told people to submit questions and, and get their relationship questions. Half of our podcast is us giving relationship advice just as a couple. Uh, A lot of the topics of enmeshment and codependency have come up over the last year plus, and I have not felt qualified (laughs) to delve into those topics. So I've been looking for the right person to help us with that. And our guest today is a psychotherapist and the founder of Alyssa Marie Wellness in Los Angeles. She's a writer, speaker, and educator focused on social justice and mental health. Her writing has been featured in Huffington Post, Elle, Women's Health, Oprah, Respin, among many others. And fun fact, I first discovered her while reading an article she had contributed to on enmeshment. Wow. And so I I wrote her and I was like, hey, (laughs) you seem to know what you're talking about. Thank you so much to Alyssa Mankow for joining us today all the way from L.A. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys today to talk about these topics. Yeah. Some heavy hitters today. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious, in your practice, is this a common theme? That actually wasn't on my question list, but I'm just curious to know if you see this a lot. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes when people do come to therapy, it's off because of the lack of boundaries that they're experiencing in their relationships, uh, often with a loved one or with a family member. So this is not uncommon. So if anybody's experiencing enmeshment, there's just, there's nothing wrong with you. It happens. Yeah. yeah. I think most people don't know what enmeshment is, but they themselves are enmeshed unbeknownst <laughs> to them. And I think a lot of people will say that everyone knows codependency. That's been, that's thrown around yeah. all the time but you don't hear enmeshment much. And I think people who think they're codependent might actually be enmeshed and not even know that. Well, that brings me to my next question. But before I get to my next question, it's funny you say that because when we first polled our listeners over on Instagram, I said enmeshment and boundaries. And 90% of people were like, finally. And 10% were like, what's enmeshment? (laughs) So Alyssa, before we get going, for anyone who isn't familiar, could you first define enmeshment? And then my this is a two-part question. My second question is, are emotional incest and codependency the same thing? And if not, what are the differences? So enmeshment is, it's a term that was actually, that is actually used to describe a parent-child relationship and wherein there are no boundaries between the parent and the child. And the relationship boundary lines are really blurred where the parent is kind of using the child as their best friend or an emotional support system. Right. So that's mostly what enmeshment is. Okay. To answer your second question, there is codependency within emotional incest. Okay. Emotional incest specifically refers to when family members are using each other for just like surrogate companionship that a a romantic partner is supposed to fill. So enmeshment and emotional incest are more 
kind of like one in the same. Okay. Whereas codependency are behaviors within those things. Oh, that's interesting. So enmeshment is specifically parent-child. Yeah, that's that's uh, how the term was originally coined. Oh, but you can see enmeshment in other relationships too. It's used okay. to be described in other relationships too. All right. So, quick question before we get into enmeshment specifically, this came up a lot. Uh, enmeshment relating to attachment styles. Do you find that discussing attachment styles in relation to enmeshment is helpful? Like, for example, do you notice that someone who is anxiously attached typically is the kind of person who might find themselves in an enmeshed relationship? Or is that just an assumption that I'm making? <laughs> Fair assumption. No, I think you're I think you're onto something. When we talk about attachment styles, it's the way that we relate to other people, romantically and platonically. And our attachment is rooted in um, our childhood experiences. So people who are anxiously attached do tend to find themselves more overly involved in their relationship due to fears of abandonment, due to okay. trying to control the outcome and not wanting to lose the relationship that they're in. And people who are anxiously attached oftentimes have a hard time regulating their own emotional state. Um, so it's kind of like if they can control the relationship, they can control their own emotional state. Got it. So it's sort of like a, a safety blanket in a way. Yeah, it even is. Even if it's and not the healthiest. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. So I'm curious to get your experience, you know, having a practice and seeing patients every day. What, I don't know if this applies anymore because I didn't really, I feel dumb. I didn't know enmeshment was only parent-child. Hmm. So well, that's question, how it was originally termed. Okay. Yeah, that's the origins of the word. Because yeah. I was going to ask what you have found are the most common types of enmeshed relationships. Like, is it, does it tend to be parent-child or any other kind of family dynamic or like in-laws? Like, just what have you seen the most of? Um, I think that it, it actually is pretty even across the board. Parent-child, wow. um, I, I noticed that enmeshment oftentimes can become really problematic if, let's say, you're married or in a monogamous relationship and your partner's really enmeshed with their parent, oh, right? So it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. The, your partner's <laughs> really enmeshed with their parent and it feels like you don't have anybody on your side and those boundaries are really blurred. And it's like when the parent is upset, your partner is upset and there really is no distinction between the parent and the child. It's like, almost like they're one person. That has come up a lot since we've started this podcast. Cause like mm -hmm. I said, we get questions from people and oftentimes it has been boundaries with in-laws, which we will get to. But first I want to ask, and if you cannot answer this, totally fine. I'm just curious, just for curiosity's sake, what you've seen, like examples of this, have there been common threads among things like gender, age range, culture, any of those? That's a good question. I can't really speak to that, but I will say in some cultures, um, there is enmeshment that happens, but it's not coined as enmeshment. So a lot of what we're talking about is mostly kind of like within what is accepted and not accepted within Western culture. Okay. Um, so you will see kind of like a cultural dissonance between like people who grew up in other countries where it's okay to be that kind of bonded to your parents. And then you come here to America and you know, the child, it's like, it's not okay. Right. And then, so you kind of see that disconnect culturally between the elders and the younger generation. That brings me mm -hmm. to my next question. Then is enmeshment really like, is the health level of a relationship that let's say in Western culture is objectively described as enmeshed. If 
that's in another culture in another country and all parties are just okay with it. Is it no longer unhealthy? I guess that's my, the thing I've been sort of torn on is where is the line between that just being the norm within a family? And even if it's not really serving everyone, it's just like, well, we're all, we're all coexisting with this. This is just the way it is. Is it still unhealthy then, if that makes I sense. I love that question. That's like a sociology question, <laughs> right? It, it is a sociology question because every culture is different and every culture devi- um, defines what's normal based on what's normal for them. Yeah. And so my answer to that question is if, if it's not causing distress, if it's not causing any kind of distress, then, then it doesn't have to be something you have to create into a problem. Ah, okay. It How- seems like it's always probably a problem for the the son or daughter involved. Well, it's but it doesn't to- necessarily manifest. It's like a problem that you live with. Like if you have like some sort of, you know, like like a really bad stomach when you eat, you know, yeah, spicy just, food. Yeah, and you just, and you know, just know take that that's a lot of that acid, you deal with it. Yeah, I, I but, find but that interesting. It's fascinating to consider because, yeah, let's say the child. And of course, that in met relationship might impact all of their future relationships and just mm-hmm. their whole life. But if they don't know any different, for example, if they've never had a stomach that they don't need to use antacids for, <laughs> right. it's Thank just you. funny to consider that that, you know, every, like you said, like the norm is is it's like a moving target, really. Yeah. And the question that. the question becomes, does is that norm ever acceptable, even if it's not impacting the family? Because it's always going to be impacting the offspring. Do you agree with that? I think. <laughs> Let's ask the professional. Yeah, no, I, I, that's just my opinion. <laughs> My my answer to that is going to be, it depends. So I'm Filipino, right? And, and culturally um, there, there is a lot of family closeness. And so I think that if it doesn't, so I'm thinking about my own family, right? If, if that's just how it is and it doesn't affect anybody and it doesn't, there's no impairment and it's just very culturally appropriate and accepted, then it really is okay. Okay. Um, My answer is it depends, it depends on how you grew up culturally. It depends on what is considered acceptable. So some children um, are okay with it. And so are their partners, because that's kind of what they grew up also experiencing. So my answer to that is it depends. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's Fair. not surprising. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So the lines sometimes seem to blur before enmeshment and connection. Ooh. Like I'm sure a lot of people who are on the, I don't know, the side of the enmeshed relationship that are maybe driving forward that relationship or causing it to be as enmeshed as it is, would argue that they just want to be connected. Can you give tips for anyone listening on distinguishing the difference between the two? Yeah. In in addition to tips, I'm going to do some reflection questions because I like that. Great. Right? So it's like, does my happiness depend on the relationship? Mm. Does my happiness change if this person is unhappy? Mm. Does Do I feel like my worth and value as a person are dependent on whether this person is validating me in this moment, right? So those are questions you can ask yourself to just assess levels of enmeshment. If your answer is yes to any of those questions, like yes, my mood drastically shifts if the relationship isn't going well, or yes, um, I'm kind of like hanging on by a thread just to see if this person is going to text me back or reply to me right, then you can kind of assess just like how codependent you might be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, connection is, connection has boundaries. Connection is, we can be vulnerable, we can be intimate. And I also recognize that I am a separate person from you, 
Mm. I recognize that I'm a separate person outside of this dynamic. Yeah. And that my mental health isn't hinging on whether or not you are going to interact with me today or how you're going to interact with me today. And so I guess when it's like a parent child relationship, I assume it's usually the, is it usually the parent, the one that's enmeshed or it is. Okay. (laughs) They're the ones with the power guess. Oh yeah. Okay. I didn't even think about that. How power, how power plays into this. Mm -hmm. You're raised and that's the norm. Okay. We, and we're going to also have to talk about guilt. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I feel like the it's two. Like I know nothing about. <laughs> I feel like the two main factors, because a lot of the questions we got from our listeners revolved around tips on how to set those boundaries without the guilt. Mm-hmm. Is it me going out on a limb to say that the two main pillars of enmeshment are power and guilt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <You did> it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what advice would you give to people on navigating guilt? Or is it just a natural part of it? Like you have to just suck it up. So with that, I have another reflection question. It's like, it's, it's the first thought that came into my mind is, is it guilt or is it discomfort? Mm. Cause I think sometimes when we set boundaries with the people we love, we feel uncomfortable And then we misinterpret that as guilt. Like, okay, so if I feel uncomfortable, that means I'm doing something wrong. Okay. Right. Because guilt is kind of like a feeling associated with doing something wrong. Yeah. But are you doing something wrong by setting boundaries? So you really kind of want to differentiate. Is it guilt or are you just feeling really uncomfortable? Chances are that feeling of discomfort might come from a history of being made to feel guilty. Yeah. 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 Like somebody else is making you feeling like, you're doing something wrong, but you really want to know within yourself, am I doing something wrong by setting these boundaries? Am I doing something wrong by separating myself from this person? Okay. Interesting. So it really is like a, you're asking yourself these questions and separating guilt from it and making it like sort of a yes or no right or wrong question. In a way, in a way it's, it's, you you really just want to tease is this guilt or is this another feeling? Mm. But if, if a person just in their spirit, they're just like, no, I am doing something wrong. This is terrible when I'm doing like, they really feel a tremendous amount of guilt for taking care of themselves. Then what I would recommend for them is to just really back themselves up. Why am I doing this? Like, what is the purpose? You want to remind yourself why you are setting these boundaries. So that's like part of boundary setting is knowing what your purpose is. And if you feel guilty or uncomfortable, you kind of just acknowledge that that's part of the territory and you do it anyway, okay. over and over <laughs> and over again. You do it anyway. Okay. I think, I think the feeling might, there's, it's, you know, it's a moral dilemma, I guess, but in addition mm-hmm. to the guilt, there's shame too. There's the yeah. shame of feeling like I'm not, I'm a terrible person because I'm not doing this thing for my mother or father who needs me so badly and gave me life and took care of me and all this stuff. But that's very, a very close relative of guilt. Yeah. They, they play with each other, but I guess it comes down to, for me, it's like you're constantly making these decisions. Are you, are you giving preference to your partner or are you giving preference to your parent? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of fence calls on that. And, you know, that's where I think a lot of the problems arise when, when it's clear, like, you know, your parent is very sick and needs you to help them because for some reason there's no one else around. 
obviously you have to sacrifice things that you may be doing with your partner to help your parent. But if it's more nuanced, there's a whole range. And then sometimes it's very 50-50 whether you should do it or not. And my question to you in those situations is what is the decision? Like if it really is a fence call and you've done the totally disconnected emotional analysis and you're like, this is really, there's no decision here. There's no right answer here. Do you side with your partner in those situations or do you side with the parent? (laughs) You know, I mean, this is a, this is what most people end up at is what I'm right. Yeah. But I'm predicting an, it depends answer. (laughs) Oh, that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) But, but that's, that's to me, the heart of it is, is not the obvious decisions. It's those real gray decisions. Like who is there a side that you usually should fall to based on the fact that you have the knowledge that you are in mesh. Oh, actually, I have a great specific example based on a question that Ashanti asked. Okay. Okay. So person A is a woman in this relationship, and her husband, we'll call him B, his family likes to drop by unannounced. Okay. They like to show up to the house. It's like your family, mi casa, tu casa, all that stuff. And A did not was not raised in that environment and finds it very uncomfortable. She feels like her home is not a safe space when suddenly other people can enter. What do you think she should do in that situation? Is that up to B to draw that line? Should she draw that line? Should she just, you know, reconsider her boundaries? What advice would you give? I think that it's important for a couple in that situation to talk about what matters to them as a couple, right? So what would it look like to put the couple first? And what are their boundaries as a couple? I think it is up to B to draw those boundaries with his family, mm. because if A draws the boundaries with his family, then that might cause a little bit of resentment from B to A. Yeah. Right. Mm. So yeah. it's important for B to back up A in this kind of decision making, but for them to also understand each other, because this is a cultural difference. They grew up differently. Their yeah. family cultures are different. And it doesn't always have to be black and white like that. I'm wondering if there's like a gray like a gray area that they can come to. So it's not just like your family can come whenever or they have to call 48 hours in advance every single time. I'm just wondering if they can come up with something. Oh, like Sundays. Sundays are open door day. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Yeah, or it's like, you know, they really just can't do it in the evenings when we're having dinner or just what is a boundary that feels like baby steps for the both of them. Okay, so because we got a lot of questions from adult children who feel like, or are all too aware that they are their parents, whether plural or singular, world. Like they're their parents, everything. And that's a lot of pressure. Could you describe what a healthy relationship between a parent and adult child looks like? So first of all, I think it is normal for a child and and even an adult child to be their parent's world, right? The love that a parent has towards a child is is just something that's very unique. Um, But I think it becomes unhealthy when the parent's decisions and mental health hinges on their relationship with their child. So they're overly involved in their adult child's life. They're still treating their adult child like a child. Mm. And there's, it's almost like the relationship hasn't evolved, right? So signs of healthy parent-child relationship looks like a healthy amount of space away from each other, being able to communicate your feelings with your parent and having your parent being very understanding of those feelings versus telling you how to feel or dictating the way that you should feel. And it also looks like just having very clear boundaries around what's appropriate and not appropriate 
in the relationship. And it's being treated like you're an adult. It's your parent recognizing your autonomy and your individuality. Because a key factor in enmeshment is that there is no individuality. So it's, I have so many directions I can go in based Mm -hmm. on that. Let's say, again, these are questions we got and I wasn't sure which ones I would use, but because you, you brought it up in that way, let's say the parent does respect the child's autonomy. Yes. And does treat them like an adult, but there is a lot of guilt, like whether or not the child asks themselves like, yes, this is right. This is wrong. Like it's totally healthy for me to set my boundaries. They do that test. Let's say they are receiving considerable guilt from their parent, even though there is, you know, they do allow them to live their lives, but a lot of the choices are met with disapproval or guilt. How would you tell that child, that adult child to address this? Like what are some practical tips on beginning the process of separating that? So there's some different steps to this. The first step is identify what your boundaries are. Okay. Okay. So it's like, I won't allow you to talk to me this way, or you can't um, be as involved in my personal decisions as you have been, or you can't just show up to my house whenever you want to show up, things like that. So identify what your specific boundaries are, communicate them, right? Firmly with love and compassion, know what your purpose is in setting them and then know your audience, just know your audience, you know, what is the best way to communicate it to that person? And then you just, it's uncomfortable. It's difficult, but you, you do it anyway. And the most important part is how are you going to honor your own boundaries? So what are the consequences if this person doesn't follow what you're saying? What are the consequences if this person continues to violate your boundaries? We often talk about boundaries, but we don't talk about, okay, what do we do next when they're not respected? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Because I feel like if if you ended up in this kind of relationship in the first place, I don't know, and maybe this is me being a pessimist, but I don't know if I picture the parent in that conversation being like, oh, I hadn't realized that I made you feel this way. I'm going to respect your privacy more. I, I more so picture the person getting kind of defensive and being like, how, how could you say this to me? I'm your mother, father, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Resisting. Resisting. Because yes. you're essentially challenging a dynamic. Yes. You're essentially challenging the way things have been done for decades, years. And it, it really is hard. Change really is hard. Um, and people take it personal when you're giving them feedback. Uh, so yeah, I think that that is a more common response where people aren't receptive to boundaries and feedback, especially in an enmeshed dynamic. So what tips would you give them? Let's say they've, they've had that first talk, they've read their audience, they've set their boundaries, they have their purpose and the, their parent is defensive, is not really making an effort to change. At what point does it sort of escalate, I guess? So I think it's important that people recognize that this might be a conversation that's had more than once. Um, And each person knows what their own threshold is. Like how often can I have this conversation with this person without seeing any kind of forward movement change or being receptive with things like this, it's things aren't going to change with the first conversation. Sometimes they're just conversations that have to be had over time. I'm a big advocate for therapy, family therapy. I think if everybody's on board, family therapy can be useful. And if you continue to feel that there's resistance towards your boundaries, then honoring your boundaries might look like spending less time with that person, decreasing interactions, phone calls, like literally 
removing yourself in a healthy way to protect your own kind of energy, not putting yourself in situations where your boundaries can't be violated. Ooh, I mean, easier said than yeah, done. Yeah, I was about to I say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds great, but uh-huh. when you reach that point where you maybe answer fewer phone calls or I, I'm just... I guess I'm curious. I want to know, is there a drug that cures enmeshment? I want a no. pill. Is there no pill? Where people just start to have better boundaries. And yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't just like like put like hide some pill in your, your mother's food and like, oh, here, enjoy these cupcakes. I, I really wish, I'm, I'm not joking. Like I kind of, I'm serious. There's no medicine you can give. There's nothing like, okay, good. Okay. For a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> Lots, uh, so really, Andy, what do you think the best gift one could give for the holiday season is? Um, let's see. A clean butt. <laughs> Cut right to the chase with that one. I like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, a clean butt is pretty up there. If you could guarantee me a clean butt for life, I would take that over any gadget, electronic device, piece of clothing. Yeah. Anything. No, gift certificate. Yeah. Edible arrangement. (laughs) Yeah, of course we are talking about the Hello Tushy Bidet. I mean, you guys, you've heard us talk about the Hello Tushy Bidet before. Mm -hmm. We love the Hello Tushy Bidet. You affix it it to your existing toilet with no special plumbing. And then you turn your regular old plain Jane toilet into a fancy toilet that has a bidet attached and will spray you. Yeah. And you now can not only reduce your toilet paper Consumption, consumption by, by 80%. 80%. Thank you. I was going to say that. You don't have to interrupt <laughs> me. I know the numbers now. But you will experience a whole new world of rear end cleanliness and, and stimulation. Stimulation. I think that this is an underrated, under touted feature of the Hello Tushy Bidet. They don't tell us to talk People about don't that, like to talk but we about choose it. to talk about People it. People don't like to talk about it. They don't, it's a little uncomfortable. Yes. It's a little too much information, but it's too but we little information to not talk about it. It really is the gift that keeps on giving in multiple ways for mm. your wallet, movement, and for, for the earth. And for the earth. Yeah. Give the gift of a clean bum to yourself or your loved ones this holiday season by going to hellotushy.com slash shandy to get 10% off plus free shipping. So tag us and add hellotushy on social media so we can celebrate your clean bum. That's hellotushy.com slash shandy for 10% off plus free shipping. So is that really the next step then? So if we were to put this in, a, in chronological order, the first is you ask yourself these questions and you're mm-hmm. like, hmm, this is sounding kind of enmeshed. Like mm-hmm. I I do feel like a lot of pressure from my mom and I, I do feel guilt all the time and I do feel like she's solely dependent on me for her happiness, her mental wellness, all these things. So you, you first come up with what your blueprint looks like of, of what your ideal relationship is and you sit down with her and unsurprisingly, she doesn't take it very well okay. and things don't change. And let's say you have that second conversation and... It, like you said, you would have to have the conversation more than once. Maybe you suggest therapy and it's not, you know, I don't think it'd be shocking if the parent were not receptive to that because I'm sure they would assume there's nothing wrong. And I'm not making assumptions across the board, but I feel like that mm-hmm. probably would happen yeah, in some assumption. cases. I guess my question is, when do you 
go to that next level, the one you're talking about, where you do back off, you are officially changing the relationship dynamic, which like Andy said, is a lot easier said than done. Is that when things get worse, if they just don't change? Like, I, I guess I want more of a, like a hard and fast, like, are you, you're losing sleep over it? You know what I mean? I want to know when you're like, I'm going to change the, the way things have been for the last, let's say 40 years. Impairment right? How is it impairing you? So sleep is one sleep is like biological impairment. Like are you Mm -hmm. losing your appetite? Um, do you have less energy? Is your sleep disturbed? Um, is it affecting your mental health? Like, so I think people decide to make these changes when they realize how it's impairing them. Um, am I not able to have a romantic relationship because my parent takes up a lot of my time or always has a say about who I'm with? Am I not able to, um, develop an identity? Like, mm. what are my likes and my dislikes? Because I'm doing everything my parent is um, wanting me to do for them. Yeah. You know, am I not able to hold down a job just like on more, you know, different cases, but it's like, is it impairing you? And how is it impairing you? Right. Okay. So my question based on that is, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm getting really specific. I just find mm-hmm. this really fascinating. Let's say it doesn't impair you. It's just upsetting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's say it's just annoying. It's, it's more, it falls in the more, this is affecting my, my life in like a way that stresses me out and causes me to feel guilty, but it's not really stopping you from sleeping. It's not really preventing you from having relationships. So it falls in this sort of like gray zone. Do you, I, I guess like so just deal with it. Yeah. At what point do you just deal with it? Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, are there, are the people around you bothered by it? Like, is your partner bothered by it? Right. I think that's, I think what you're asking really, it's, it's part and parcel. If both individuals in the partnership are kind of like, eh, this is annoying, but we can live with it. Yeah. So neither one is like really losing sleep over it. Mm -hmm. That, that's, I think what you're asking. So, okay. That brings me to, this is more of a (laughs) sociological (laughs) question, which is, are some relationships just annoying? Like are some just like right. not as rewarding in the way that you would like them to be in life? And that's just something we all need to accept. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, that was a big truth. You just dropped. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of them fall into that category, unfortunately. And you just have to kind of learn how to fine tune it as opposed to making like butcher knife decisions. Mm-hmm. Oh man. With, with a lot of things in life. My question to you is with enmeshed parents, is there often a pattern of them not fostering a lot of outside relationships like friends and, you know, other extended family members? Like when, when they're enmeshed with their child, is that often accompanied by a lack of enmeshment with actual people they should be enmeshed with? <laughs> yeah. Or a lack of attachment. Or not, not, I'm yeah. using the word enmeshed yeah, yeah. stupidly. <laughs> I'm saying, is there a, is there a direct relation, indirect relationship between the, the intensity of their relationships outside of the enmeshment? Yeah. So with parent child, it's usually because whoever their romantic partner is, right. The parents of the child's other parent, there's a disconnect there. Oh. So it's usually coming from a disconnect with the other parent. Like it, it usually comes from feelings of loneliness. So oftentimes um, it, you could see it either way, right? It's like they do have friends or um, they do have support systems. Some people do don't, but the root of it is feeling lonely. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. that makes so it's sense. like feeling really lonely. 
and usually lonely in their romantic relationship. So then they develop kind of like an emotional bond with their right. child that's that replicates what they should be having with a romantic partner. So, so is this more often than not a, a rear its head in situations where a parent is either passed away or gone completely or, gone, or the marriage is sort of rocky. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Oh. okay. Yeah. The person can be present, not present. It makes perfect sense. It does. And it's fascinating. They're trying to fill a void with their, their, child. Yes. Oh man. That, so I will agree with that statement. Bond. It's a void that's trying to be filled and it's happening on a very subconscious level. It's not like consciously I'm going to turn you into my emotional partner, right? There, people aren't really thinking that it's very subconscious. Right. And then what, what is there, is the response any different uh, if the parent, let's say tragically lost their loved one and they really are, you know, it's a, it's a wound and they need support. Is, is, is there, is that kind of a different scenario where you might have to have like a little extra compassion and kind of accept certain wrongs in the enmeshment relationship that you ordinarily would say, no, you cannot do that. I draw the line there. You see what I'm saying? Like, is there an exception for that kind of situation where you have to tread a little more lightly because putting yourself in their shoes, you're like, wow, I might do the same thing. So I have to just be a little more compassionate. Yeah. Here. When grief is at play. When yeah. Empathy when, and grief. Right. Yeah. I'm curious is too. Is there a different path there or is it kind of you just have I think to that's okay. Okay. I think that's okay to to kind of step up and be like, let let me let me be there more for my parent and do mm-hmm. maybe some of the things that my parent my other parent was doing. I think that that's okay to do. There are some factors you want to take into consideration, like how old is the child? You obviously don't want an eight-year-old kid stepping up and, you know, right, doing, right. yeah, things like that. Like how old is the child? Or I'm assuming you know? an adult child. Yeah. I'm, always, an adult assu- child. I'm okay. always, all my questions relate to an adult child. Yeah. Yes. I, I think that's okay. You just want to be mindful of um, frequency and intensity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all on a continuum. It's all on a spectrum. Because it's a slippery slope. If you if you allow a little bit in, it might just become fully enmeshed before you even know what happened. Yeah. And, and my next question based on that issue. is, let's say that's been going on for 10 years, 15 years. Is it still okay? If it's tied into the empathy, the, the grief, the wanting to step up in that way. Let's say that goes on for 10, 15 years. Is, would you still say that should be handled in the same way? Or My is that question, kind of the, what you've taken, you, the right. burden is, is you, there, you take on Is there on a bereavement life? period yeah, and then yeah. it ends and you're like, okay, back to yeah. non-enmeshment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My question would be like, if I were to see this person in my practice, it would be, um, does it bother you? Are you able to hold relationships outside of your relationship with your parent? Are you able to do things? How much time is this taking up for you? Mm-hmm. That's what I would want to know. How much time is this taking up for you? And are you able to develop relationships outside of this? Wow, this is this is an interesting topic because it's the first one I think we've taken on in, in a hot topic setting like this, where there, you're not necessarily going to get some path that's super satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very, it's very specific to each scenario. It is. And I guess I was expecting more of this, like, if you do this, if you right. say this, then they will understand that. Yeah, and then these magical doors will open right. that you didn't know were there and you'll have this perfect parent-child relationship. Well, that's why I wanted the pill. 
I'm, I'm trying to realize this is very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of it is coming to terms with whether or not it's impairing you. That's a big, yeah. the word impairment is very mm -hmm. interesting. And if it's not, if it's a matter of just general grievance, it becomes sort of a topic of picking one's battles. Yes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with that. I really like the way you phrased that. Wow. And then you can look at it in a really positive light <laughs> if you're completely enmeshed and there's no hope. Is there any like silver lining to enmeshment? Is there like, you know, all human relationships, if they're emotionally tight and bonded, can have some positive outcome. I mean, they're not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, are there enmeshed relationships where it's like, oh, that's actually a good situation? No. It works better. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, just I was checking. really thinking. I was really thinking. I was like, what, what can I say? No. <laughs> good. I was trying to get a, a yes or no answer yeah. from you. I, got, I finally got it. <laughs> My next question is about broaching the topic with someone who who, who is so, with a loved one who is in an enmeshed relationship. So let's say it's not directly affecting you, but okay. it's, you're direct, it's affecting your partner. Yeah, probably your partner, I sure. would say. Yeah. E let's say it doesn't even really affect you all that much. It doesn't really bother you. Maybe it's slightly or you, annoying. Or you've gotten so used to it, it's just you've like got, dealing with the, the acid stomach. When yeah, spicy yeah. Food. it's like dealing yeah. with the fact that your partner doesn't like ice cream and you love ice cream. It's like, oh, it's right. this thing we have to deal with in our relationship. But you see how it affects your partner. How would you recommend broaching that topic, especially if they might seem resistant to it or think there's nothing weird going on? Gosh. Okay. So know your audience, so know, <laughs> know your audience. Is this something that this person is going to be receptive to hearing? You also want to ask yourself, like, how is sharing this information going to affect the relationship? How is sharing this information going to affect the other person? Um, I think that coming in with like psychoeducation material, like signs of enmeshment, printing it out or going on a computer and just being like, can we read this together? This is what I'm seeing. What do you think? Do you agree with this? Mm. Kind of just making it more factual. Yeah. Right. And kind of turning it to the experts. Like this is what I've read online. Would you say that this is what you're going through and seeing what they, where they go from there. You can only share your observations, but at the end of the day, people are going to decide for themselves if they resonate with what you're saying or not. <laughs> I find this topic is is starting to crack me up because it's really a whole lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. It's a lot of yeah, work. You're, you're, you're essentially trying to change a whole dynamic. And as human beings, like think about yourself. Think about yourself. Think about how hard it is to change yourself. Yeah. Like, it's patterns hard. you've tried to change, relationship habits. Okay. So now imagine trying to change somebody else. It's already Ooh. really hard. Right. Oh my God, that's a big truth you just dropped. Yeah. You know, people always say, don't try to change your partner. Like don't right. marry someone because of who you think they can become. You want to marry the person as they are now. Right. Don't, don't bank on changing them basically. But I think secretly a lot of people want to change other people. That's just sort of how we all are. Sure. But yeah. you're right. Changing yourself is next to impossible. Yeah. And changing other people is literally impossible. Never been done. <laughs> so I guess my next question is based on that, on how hard it is to change. Let's say you grew up in a very enmeshed codependent family environment, and you now see yourself replicating that behavior in your own mm -hmm. relationships. 
How can one escape that? How can one change? So there's so many ways to go about this. Aside from therapy, maybe you want to learn about attachment styles. Maybe you want to explore your own childhood patterns and just increasing that awareness. And then you also want to be able to just rebuild your own emotional independence. So really kind of um, recognizing when you're depending on somebody else for happiness and then learning ways to make yourself happy. Another thing about enmeshment, right, is like if the other person isn't happy with you or they're in a bad mood, um, you tend to be unhappy or in a bad mood too. So it's almost like your mood depends on that other person. So one thing you want to do is learn how to self-regulate, learn how to like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling nervous. What do I need to do to calm down my nervous system? So I'm not looking at this person to calm me down. I can find it within myself. So you want to learn skills to self-soothe. I think what you said about, you know, just sort of regulating your emotional response is interesting because what if you just said, no, I'm not going to feel bad about this. I refuse. And you genuinely get to a point. I know you can't do that on a dime, but you teach yourself like, this is my gut response. When this thing happens, I feel guilt or shame or moral bankruptcy or whatever it is. And I'm like, I'm not going to feel this way. I'm not going to feel sad. I'm not going to feel stressed. I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm just going to go about my business as if nothing happened. Can you train yourself to do that? And is that okay? You can train yourself to do that. And it is okay. You can have um, empathy, empathy and boundaries can coexist. Unconditional love and boundaries can coexist. So yes. I think, yeah, you can absolutely train yourself to do that. It takes a lot of practice and just learning where you end and the other person begins. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what you just described is setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, emotional setting your yeah. internal emotional boundaries. Yeah. And it sounds, what's funny is I feel like it's very catchy right now to talk about boundaries. Like, oh, my boundaries have been crossed. I'm going to, I'm setting my boundaries. Right. You know, <laughs> what are you actually It's like, here's doing? my little fence around me. Here are my boundaries. Right. But what you just described, which actually is very challenging to force yourself to be like, I don't care or to force yourself to feel like you don't care rather mm -hmm. and be like, I will not let this guilt affect me. I will, I am going to change the way this relationship is like, that's really hard when you put it like that, but that really is setting a boundary. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I would, I would even just reframe it. I would tweak it just a little bit. You can still care, right? Cause that, we're human. Mm -hmm. You can still care, but you're not going to carry it anymore. Right. Oh, yeah. that was a meme right there. Well, that, that, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was. But that mm -hmm. in itself is work. It's like another layer of work is yeah. to be able to both exist in the caring, but not feeling like you care. Yes. Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of, a, that's a real Zen place to get to. So that's another layer, but that makes sense. I want to circle back a bit to the cultures thing, okay. because this one did come up a lot. So let's say your spouse is from a different culture and then you have, they have that relationship. If I'm to apply, you know, the, what we've been talking about for the last 35 minutes to this question now, I guess what I want to know is what percentage of it is you have to just accept that relationship for what it is because that's their culture and maybe come to terms with whether or not it's impairing you. Mm-hmm. And what percent of it is that? And what percent is, no, it's still worth it to make a change, to to possibly put a rift, whether between you and your in-laws or your spouse and their parents, in order for a certain level of comfort? Mm. 
That's a tough That's question. That's going to be a depends question. I know. <laughs> it I mean, is. I, it is. Was... Yeah, it, it really, I can't give you a percentage, but I can give you just like a question. It's like, well, what do you, what is your partner value and what do you value? Do, do they value family relationships first over the romantic relationship? Right. So you want to make decisions based off of what do you, what you value. Also buyer beware, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Don't get into a, where a cult, it's culturally totally normal for this investment to happen if and it, then if complain it, about if you it after it. you knew it. Right. Yeah. That's day. actually a good point. I mean, you can kind of see why a lot of people only date or marry within their culture. Yeah. I mean, Even I'm not subculture. saying that that's what one should do. I mean, we're from yeah. different cultures, but it's still, you can see why. It makes if, family relations a lot easier. If what you want is comfort. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question. And these are special cases. So one we already touched on, and that is loss in the family or when there's grief involved, basically. Let's say the person who you want to become unenmeshed with threatens self-harm if you don't compromise your boundaries for them. That's so tricky because there's a lot of that does happen in codependent relationships. I'm going to hurt myself if you leave. Yeah. Right. Right. And then the person who's trying to leave is like, okay, I feel guilty. It's my role to make sure you're okay. So I'm going to stay. And Mm -hmm. then it's a cycle. Yeah. Right. So it it does get really, really tricky. And I think it's important when somebody threatens self-harm, then do you feel like it's your responsibility to tell a loved one, like one of their loved ones, like, look, Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave them and they're threatening to hurt themselves. Can you go stay with them? Can you go check in on them? Can you make, you know, so it's like, it's, 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 you're still being responsible with this information, but staying solely because of that, you know, further drives the codependency and the enmeshment in the relationship. But that's codependency between partners. What about enmeshment with a parent who threatens to hurt themselves? Is that the same same situation? I I would recommend the same thing. Yeah. Who is their support system or who is somebody that lives nearby? And can you say, this is what's happening. Okay. Yeah. So basically mm-hmm. it's kind of like kid gloves, like, okay, I'm not, I'm going to take your threat seriously and involve other people. And I guess that also sort of forces the situation because you are forcing them to accept support from other people. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think somebody threatening that should be a reason why you stay in a situation that is um, chronically impacting your mental health. But if somebody says something like that, then it is okay to say, okay, well, I'm telling so-and-so or I'm right. calling, okay, well, I'm still leaving and I'm going to call the police or whoever to make sure that you're like doing a welfare check to make sure that okay, you're okay. That's the genuine high road. I think mm-hmm. that's the real high road is when you, you, you know, you actually say, I'm not going to address this because I'm no longer in this situation, mm-hmm. but I'm going to find someone else who can help you. Yeah. Like that's actually the morally correct decision. I yeah. Think, is and what actually she's it does sort of force the the situation in terms of getting taking the pressure off you and solely you right and that ties into the same question really is what if that person let's say they're not threatening self-harm but they have mental health issues or they struggle with something like addiction it sounds like the answer is more or less the same it's like they're a third party does enter the picture yeah encourage them give them the resources connect them with somebody if you can mm-hmm. um but just also know that it's not your job to rescue or save another person it's like i'm not equipped i'm not i'm not equipped i'm not a professional right. yeah 
This has been a very interesting discussion. Alyssa, I, I feel kind of bad. We're, like we've been giving you like questions that seem almost impossible to answer. But I guess I just didn't realize what a minefield this topic is because you're forcing yourself to come to terms with whether or not something is actually affecting you negatively or if it just annoys you. Yeah. And can I live with this? Is this something I can do for the next 5, 10, 15 years? Yeah. And do I want to put my partner through this? Yeah. Yeah. There's something kind of, and I, I, this is not a reflection on you or your answers, but there's, it's a very like unsatisfying topic to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever find in your professional work that you're, you feel that like lack of satisfaction from getting those like black and white outcomes? Sometimes. Cause I think a lot of um, what happens too is just like grieving you know, grieving the relationship you wish you had or grieving the relationship that you wanted. Oh, Mm. Alyssa, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. You're welcome. Thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed chatting with you both. Great. And if you ever want to get more business, just go to like any Jewish mixer (laughs) and you will have everyone be like, what? (laughs) And Meshman? What's Uh, that? (laughs) That sounds familiar. (laughs) Okay, Alyssa. I'm allowed to say that. Jewish. (laughs) Okay, Alyssa, thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. (sighs) Oh, man. This is the first time ever that a hot topic has felt as unsatisfying to me as a caller episode. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. She was great, but there's... There's no, there's no hard answers for this stuff. It's really person specific. It's every, everything is specific to whatever the situation is. I guess what I was expecting was for there to be more of a right and wrong. Like it's wrong when you have this kind of relationship, Mm -hmm. but even then it, it depends because if you're both content with it and if that's just sort of your normal, then it's not wrong. And then another example I was thinking was there would be more of a hard and fast. These are the signs, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it should be dealt with like this. But let's say you're met with resistance. I guess I was not expecting it to come down to impairment in the way that it did. Like, basically, what she's saying is, is it really impairing you, your mental health, your lifestyle, your ability to have relationships? your ability to live as an autonomous adult. And if it's not, so that's that's the stakes. Like if it's not reaching that level and it just annoys the shit out of you, mm-hmm. then it's kind of like, that's it. <laughs> like I, I wasn't expecting that. Well, it's like, instead of curing a cold, it's like living with a, with a, with an illness as opposed to just, you know, taking some antibiotics and getting rid of a bug. You're right, actually. It's living with something that you have to maintain and treat on the regular. And it probably is a pain in the ass sometimes. Well, the difference is between enmeshment and codependency is with codependency, you can just say like, bye. And that's it. You can leave. You can't just leave your parents. Yeah. You can't break up with your parents, nor can a parent break up with a child. I mean, and it happens, but it's it's really bad. You don't want to have that as an option. So if there's no option to leave or to like change, like disengage the relationship, then you just have to like, just sort of monitor it over, over time. Monitor it. Yeah. It's like any, any, it's like checking your blood sugar levels. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like shooting yourself in the butt. You know, this brings me back to the same thought I've been having recently Mm -hmm. with this podcast and just some 
answers not being what you wish they would be is that life is often about managing relationships that maybe aren't your favorite. Yes. The dynamic isn't your favorite. I mean, how many relationships do any of us have where it's like, this is perfect? You know what, you know what relationship that is? Relationship with your cat or your dog. Oh, man. Or your turtle or whatever you <laughs> fancy as a pet. But really, the only relationships we have that are perfect are relationships with pets. I guess Human relationships are always problematic, even the best ones. Everyone's always like, oh, my marriage is great. It's so wonderful. My kids are great, but it's work. I mean, it's a lot of work. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's work having a dog, but it's you get used to it. It's like, who cares? I have to clean up poop <laughs> and I have to, you know, tell it not to bite people. Like, big deal. It's not the, real work. There's a question now, based on what you're saying, that I wish I had asked her. And now it's too late. But I... And curious to know if she would say it's idealistic to think that you can have the dream unenmeshed parent-child relationship if, for example, you're met with resistance and it is not impairing you and all these things. It's just an annoyance in your life. Mm-hmm. Is it idealistic to want to change that? So, Andy, since she's gone, you answer me. <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, I think it is. Uh, I think it is idealistic. I think parents are always going to be a little annoying. That's their job. It's literally their job title. They have to be annoying once in a while. And I think that's just something you deal with. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's no Disney parents. <laughs> it doesn't exist. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'd love to see it. I've never seen it. No, I, you're making a good point. Even the parent-child relationships that are not quote-unquote enmeshed, they might have other flaws in them. Like, for example, the parents might be too distant or they might be emotionally closed off and maybe haven't provided emotional support throughout your you childhood. Know, you know what I hate to say? And I, I don't want to like give enmeshment all this credit. But <laughs> <laughs> give it a shot. Maybe you like it. No, but the grass is always greener in some ways. I'm, I'm sure there are certain children who wish they were enmeshed with their parents. Who That's their like dream, you know? So I'm not saying oh, that's what everyone man. should strive for. But, you know, for a parent who never calls them, doesn't remember their birthday, doesn't know who their friends are, doesn't care about their schoolwork, doesn't care about anything, like that that kid would probably dream about a parent really doting on them and getting and, up and in And relying their, on them for shape. their happiness? Actually, maybe. Maybe there, I can imagine many scenarios in the world where that would be a dream. Of course, I mean, it's obvious. Of course, you have to create boundaries. Yes. You obviously. Yeah. And those boundaries. And it sounds like creating those boundaries are not easy because it does involve change or seeking change. Right. And like she said, it's hard to change yourself. Imagine trying to change someone else. I think you have to prioritize broad strokes. Like you really, and you have to be very, very low bar for satisfaction. <laughs> You have to set an extremely low bar. Something that stood out to me was early in this conversation, I asked her if she would agree that the main two pillars of enmeshment are power and guilt. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, sounds about right. Oh, yeah. I I think you nailed it. Guilt is the is the currency. Yeah. And power is the dynamic. Yeah. Or the dynamic is created from power. It is born of yes, power. Is of power. Yes. Well said. Yeah. Either way, um, I don't think we're we're fixing this enmeshment <laughs> issue anytime soon. <laughs> I really went into this episode with the best of intentions. Maybe we'll have a second 
part. Like we'll have a 2.0, a conversation 2.0 and see, see where that conversation takes us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not going to get the fortune cookie answers. No, I do think it's key to have that be the main takeaway. You know, if we had to sum up this entire conversation with the meme, Mm -hmm. it came down to, it depends. It depends. It depends. Everything was case by case right down to how much is it even bothering you? And I honestly feel like a lot, if I had to guess what happens in the room with a lot of her patients who have this issue, yeah. I think it's a lot of just like learning to live with it, coping mechanisms yes. as opposed to like fixing it and solving it. Yeah. Well, Andy. Mm-hmm. That's that. <laughs> I feel like that's that. We solved everybody's problems <laughs> once again. I feel like we literally solved zero problems. Well, I think we educated. I think there was education. I think she allowed people to understand what this is and be like, oh, you know what? I think I have that or I don't have that. Also, maybe there was some normalization. It's like, oh, actually, yeah, you struggle with this, but so many people struggle with it. And there isn't really that clear an answer on how to get out of it. And that's why so many of us struggle with it. Yeah, there should be there shouldn't be self-blame or shame or any of that. Yeah, that's 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 a good takeaway. There's a sort of expectation management takeaway in that. Yeah, I think actually the lack of satisfying answers (laughs) is in itself the satisfying answer. (laughs) nailed it (laughs) oh i guess it was bound to happen that we would have a hot topic where we were left so speechless (laughs) all right well if you happen to enjoy what you heard today you know what we're going to ask of you please like subscribe hit the notification bell follow us on instagram tell your friends leave us apple podcast ratings and reviews and generally do all the things you would do to support a podcast you enjoy even if it didn't solve your problems. (laughs) And on that note, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye.